Welcome, everybody, to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. I am your host, Michelle Bruckner, and I am here with the wonderful Kathy Ranking. Kathy has been casting since 1994, and now she currently works with actors to help them book jobs, but also to help them have a more work-balanced life. This career can be very stressful, and Kathy helps you to balance it all. Welcome, Kathy. Oh, thanks for having me, Michelle. You're such a joy. (laughs) Well, I met you in New York, I want to say three years ago. And of course, this was before the pandemic, but it was becoming very evident to me that self-tapes were becoming part of the industry. And I did not know what to do. So at Actors Connection in New York City, you taught a self-tape class. And I just loved your class. I loved working with you. I kept in touch with you afterwards because I just really enjoyed how you were not condescending at all to the class. And we had many different levels. We had beginner actors. We had seasoned professionals in that class. You just gave us the information that we needed, but you were also kind and the session was really fun. And I was like, you know what? I want to work with someone like her in this industry. This is how people need to behave because so often it's like, I know the information and you do not know it. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know. I've never taken a a class with a casting director. (laughs) Tell me, tell me what goes on. (laughs) So you originally started your career in Los Angeles. Uh, Yes. I mean, I really, to be honest, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been studying actors my whole life because I was always just so enamored of going to the movies and watching TV and going to theater. So I've really, and I've always been enamored of actors to the point of why am I attracted to this actor and not this one? Why would I pay money for this actor and not this other one. So it's like, what is charisma and what is it about a particular actor that draws us in? So I've been doing R&D in that my whole life, pretty much. Um, I was a theater major at UCLA. Uh, I graduated magna cum laude from that theater program, which was great. My first job was in regional theater at South Coast Rep. I was in ASM. I did a bunch of summer stock as a stage manager. So I really just always wanted to work in the industry. And I've done a lot of different jobs within it. I love it. uh, And then it was, then I had, you know, as all of our journeys are uh, a road of twisting and turning. And I ended up finally getting a dream job, which was casting, which was casting in the upper echelons of network TV uh, in the nineties. So I worked. And the nineties were a high, you worked on Frasier. Am I right? Yeah. Frasier for eight years, eight seasons. I worked on Arrested Development I worked on a bunch of other sitcoms, according to Jim, um, I, just a bunch of shows that kind of lasted one or two seasons. Uh, but I worked on two Emmy winning shows, which was quite a privilege. So when you were casting for these shows, what are some things that would make you book an actor? You talk about charisma. I recall uh, watching television when I was young and seeing Kurt Douglas in a Western, I can't remember the name of the movie at the moment, but he was just sitting at a table in, you know, old fashioned Western clothes. It was my parents' TV. So it was a small TV. His charisma leapt across the television screen. And I, I was like, I know why this man is a star because he's sitting there, he's reading the paper. And I just like, I got it. I got it. So what, what would make you give an actor a job? 
I mean, it's really about being able to show five different emotions all in one moment. Like it's, it's really when you're not acting is when your charisma shines, where you're just revealing your essence, revealing your full humanity. And I find uh, actors that aren't as strong, they may, they're doing very one note auditions or maybe two notes, but your auditions have to be much more dimensional than that. And I'm not saying you should be sad on one line or happy on another line at all. It's more all of us in our daily lives, we're always feeling pretty much five different emotions uh, constantly. Yes. Uh, Scared, uh, optimistic, hopeful. They can be contradictory emotions most of the time. So it's like recreating real life in your acting is showing that much. And it's just being in that space with those emotions. It's not necessarily uh, saying, like I said, one line is happy and one line is sad. It's not like that. It's more organic than that. And I think a lot of beginning actors try to be someone they're not. And the older I get, the more I realize that you are enough. You know, the person that you are is what people really do want to see. And the more you the, the older you get, it's like peeling back an onion. You just discover more about yourself and and you become more accepting of all the parts of you. Don't you agree? Yes. And you have to accept all the parts of you. Like you have to be a perfect balance of dark and light, because if you're too dark, we're going to be repelled by you. And if you're all light, we're not going to believe you. And so, or you'll be too slick. So you have to really accept all of you in a balanced form. Again, if you're just one side or the other, we're not, we're not going to be really uh, emotionally compelled by that. Uh, And you're right about- Uh, Just you were right about uh, actors just beginning. Sometimes they want to be someone else. They want to be who we think uh, they think that we want, which isn't the case at all. It's really, like you said, trusting in who you are and that you are enough. You are enough. Yeah. And that's so it sounds so simple, but yet it's like, you know, we we're going to spend our whole lives figuring out who we are, you know, especially with my dancing. I'm like, I finally get certain things and it's been happening for many years. Do you know what I mean? I've been dancing so long and now I'm finally getting certain things. It's just, it's life. It's a process. It's a journey. Um, And tell us, speaking of journey, tell us what made you move to Atlanta. I actually got hired to cast a film. So I, I came here to cast a film 2016 and I just liked it so much. I decided to stay after the film was cast. That's like just, wonderful. And you know, LA is not affordable for artists at all. And it's getting worse and worse. So I, um, and I started working and casting less because it is a very stressful job. And I got pretty sick, uh, pretty bad cancer. And I just really couldn't go back to doing it full time. And so, how are you now? How are you today? I'm, I'm great. I mean, I've been cancer-free for 10 years now. Thank the Lord. Thank God. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. I, I do have to watch my stress level. So casting full-time now is not really something I should be doing. So tell us about what you are doing now, because I love taking classes with you. They are so much fun. I get to meet all these other actors. I'm actually filming with Connor on Sunday. We're doing Connor is someone that was in one of my classes with Kathy to the listeners. She's this really young, talented screenwriter and actress from Chicago. And we're going to do a project together. That makes (laughs) me happy to hear that. 
That really, yeah, my passion now is doing those create your own content classes where I help actors write their own content because actors have to be doing that now. It's not just waiting for auditions like it used to be in the 90s. You know, you really have to be out there creating your own stuff to showcase who you are and you have to put yourself as the lead in it. So and I think that's fun because you then you get a little bit more control in this uncontrollable atmosphere. You know, a big part of a big thing that I don't like. And one of the reasons I started this podcast is because when you're an actor, you literally are at the mercy of other people and their subjective opinions. And there, you know, if someone just doesn't like your work for whatever reason, they're not going to hire you and they have every right not to. So if you create things, you can show yourself to people. And, you know, if you get uh, some sides, you might not be able to show yourself as much as writing your own, you know, 10 minute short film or a musical or anything. So I think that this is a good step for performers. I think it's going to be really great. Yeah. And so many, um, about half the actors, when they start, they always say, well, I've never written anything. I don't know how to write. And within like a class <laughs> with a simple prompt or a simple assignment, they, they see, oh, wait, I can do this. And it yeah, really transformed a lot of people. A lot of people now, this, I started this three years ago and people are in film festivals and they've done one person shows and they have just created, you know, one minute videos to post on IGTV and have gotten quite a lot of traction from that. You talked to me about IGTV and you said that that is where a lot of casting people look now when they're just looking for talent. So do you want to explain to the listeners how they can put themselves on IGTV and just get the ball rolling. Yeah. And it's not necessarily casting directors are, are looking for new talent in IGTV. They are people, right? Like <laughs> they are doing normal people things and normal people right now, they're mainly on Instagram and they are just scrolling through those videos just kind of as they're seeing what their friends are doing or what they want to post. So they're just scrolling like everyone else. So it feels like with IGTV, it's just easier to get to those videos and they're short. They tend to be short. I mean, they have to be at least a minute to go on IGTV, but they tend to be short. So they're easy to watch. We're not going to, on the other hand, we're not going to go scroll through YouTube as much to go find, to go, I don't know, we're just not scrolling on YouTube. We're going to look at a news program or we're do, getting a tutorial, but we're not really scrolling on there, if you will. Right, right. And oh. it's a, important to know as these things change, TikTok is a thing now. And I haven't signed up for that yet. I think I will um, once I can get outside and do some outdoor things. But I think TikToks are a good way to get followers yeah. and some yeah, recognition hot. a little bit. Yeah, it's hot right now. I mean, CAA now has a whole division just on TikTok. So yeah, it's big. So TikTok and IGTV are really the two, two wet, best platforms for actors. Um, I know you are a big theater lover and you love coming to New York and seeing Broadway shows. So how are you managing right now during the pandemic while this industry is a little bit shut down? Oh man, you're going to make me cry. I, um, I feel like less than I really do. I mean, going to theater was always myself. It was how I regained my energy. It was, um, you know, cause I help a lot of people and sometimes my energy gets drained and I need to go regroup my own artistic, my own creativity and going to theater was my biggest um, thing to do. And I'm, I, I, 
And I can't imagine what it is to be all these performers that can't do what they love. So it's been really hard. I mean, I've watched incredible Zoom, uh, Zoom uh, content uh, that, are, that are plays on Zoom. Incredible. I've discovered some new theater companies I didn't know. So I'm making the best of it. But, oh, my God, it's really, it's, I, I hope it comes back. Is it coming back in the summer? Because I don't, <laughs> just, it really It does. has to. I mean, the fact that it's been shut down this long is really, it's beyond, beyond. And in uh, Australia, they're performing again. So that is helpful. I just, right before we got on our call, I was talking with my good friend, who has been in The Lion King in Hamburg. He's had that job. He was the original Zazu in The Lion King Company. And he's had that job for 19 years. The reason he hasn't moved on to another show is because there wasn't a comparable job. When I was in uh, Germany in the 90s, shows, there were many musicals appearing and being produced and everything and long running. And The Lion King was one of the only ones right now that is still like a big musical. So he went to London to see Harry Potter. And I think they were talking about that coming to Germany. But there was nothing for him to hop to. So he just stayed in The Lion King. But now The Lion King has been closed for almost a year. So I know he really dedicated himself for almost 20 years to that job. And his performance, I saw him in 2016, his performance was stellar. And they even, the Disney company even told him, you know, um, we haven't found anybody that we can replace you with because your performance is that good and that well-maintained. So he's, I know he's going through it right now. So I, I reach out to him often and I'm like, how are you doing? Luckily, he's got a good family and he is spending time with them. But it's like the livelihood of all these actors who that's what they do. The, these actors in their prime years, like the dancers in their prime years, they've had a year removed from their prime year. And what upsets me is sports came back. I mean, right. yeah, they have less people in the stadium, but you could have a theater. I mean, you could do theater outside. I don't know why they didn't do more theater outside. I mean, of course the winter was, but it's like, why did sports come back and theater couldn't? I think that's, Well, that is a whole question as a country, as the United States, that's a whole question we need to ask ourselves. Why are sports a priority and the arts not so much? So it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I would love to see some more subsidy for the arts. I'm a big fan of the Royal ballet. And um, I know that those dancers are being taken care of during this pandemic. I know that they're being paid. And they are doing a lot of online things and they have a wonderful, whoever's in charge of their marketing department is fantastic because they have so much on YouTube and they do Instagram and they do classes and uh, lecture demonstrations. But I, I get the feeling that those dancers in that company are doing well because they are being taken care of. You know what I mean? So I feel like we need um, some sponsored arts, some sponsors, some investors yeah because i mean you know the art spills up and to be frank sports can um destroy people's bodies yeah i mean there's i know a lot of people that live for sports it's never been my thing um but it's 
being an artist is also you're an athlete as well. Yes. You know, you're also doing athletic things and working your body in ways that are just beyond normal human activity. So hopefully, you know, I've been lucky. I got the vaccine because I teach in New York. So I've got both doses of the vaccine. Thank goodness. And hopefully more and more people will be able to get it. We'll see. Yeah. The Johnson and Johnson came is coming, you know, this week. So that's, yeah. And that's just a one dose thing. And I don't think it has to be stored at the, the cold temperatures that the other ones do. It was interesting when I got the vaccine, they, I got it at the hospital close to where I work in Manhattan and they, they had about 10 of us in line, socially distanced, and they measured out the doses. They had someone go to another area of the hospital, get 10, they counted us up, you know, let's say 10 people, they got 10 doses and they brought them up. So that's what they were doing, like precious gold, getting it, measuring it out. And then, because I guess they have to take it out of that sub freezer or whatever they have. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess a Johnson and Johnson, it could just be up there and you know, just go in your arm. So in a regular fridge. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, tell the listeners, please, what kind of classes do you offer right now? And I love this listeners because you can be anywhere in the world and take Kathy's classes. What what's going on with you lately with class offerings? Um, well, like I said, create your own content. I do that. That means once a week. And then I'm doing this new program called SOAR, S-O-A-R, not S-O-R-E, about uh, really getting real about how good you have to be to book jobs. And it helps people like bump up to the next level of where they're at. It's for advanced actors. It's for actors that have done primarily theater, but want to do more film and TV. It also could be for actors who teach other actors because they don't always know the casting director perspective and the casting director's perspective is uh, the only is essential for understanding. How do you book jobs? How good does your, do your materials have to be? How good does that demo reel have to be? What about headshots? What about, I mean, there's just a casting director perspective that actors who teach don't really fully understand firsthand. So it's good for, for those actors as well. I love the SOAR program and your website is youritfactor.net, correct? Correct, yeah. I will post that, listeners, in the show notes because just check Kathy out because she offers so many things. And working with you is a collaboration. It's not just you're lecturing everybody and saying, this is how it is. You're working with each actor and finding out where their strengths are and what they can offer the entertainment world Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. It's important, like you said, when people are constantly asking you things and you're constantly putting things out there and you go to the theater to fill yourself up. But I also noticed from your social media that you've been taking walks all over your beautiful city and just finding the beauty in the everyday things that are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because entertainment is a selfish lover. It wants all of you and then some. It wants 110% of you. The job of a casting director, as I kind of mentioned, it's a 24-7 from the time you're hired on a project to when it wraps. And you are 24-7. You're at the beck and call of the producer, the director, the network, the studio. Um, There's no way to have life-work balance, to be honest. Um, I think my daughter um, suffered greatly um, because... It was when she was from eight years old until college is when I was working. And those are the formative years. And I really didn't spend as much time with her 
as I wanted to, because again, the job has to be number one, which is not a good priority. Not, not a good, but there's no, there's no choice. If you can't do that, you can't work in the industry as, as well. I mean, you know, as a casting director, I mean, actors sure. have a little bit more life work balance because they're not working as much, but if you get on a series, you know, you can't really have anything else in your life when you're working as a series regular on a series, that's your whole yeah. life. And they own you. And, and also as a mom, because we're both moms, we had to work. The bills had to get paid. So it's a fine line between, yes, we're working and our children need us, but we also, you know, they, they need shoes, they need food to eat and a roof over your head. So I totally understand. And I know that now that your daughter's an adult, I know you spend a lot of time together and um, she understands, right? She understands that you were doing the best that you could. Yeah. I mean, she thinks I'm crazy to even say that I was a, you know, you know, that I, I'm not a bad mother, but that I just didn't spend as much time with her as I really wanted to. She thinks I'm crazy to say that, but I, I feel guilty. I feel bad about it because I know uh, I feel the I same way. First. I had a, I had many jobs while I was raising my daughter. I was a single mom for many years. And uh, when she was nine, I met my husband, my current husband, and we got married. Was she 14? Yeah, she was 14. You know, there was a long period where I was a single mom and I lived in New York. I had an apartment in Manhattan. It was expensive. We we cooked a lot of spaghetti, you know, things. We did the best that we could. She's she's a lovely young woman now, and I'm proud of her. But I think as moms, we always feel that we could do more. Yep, it's really hard just in any career it's really, really hard to juggle family and work. And I think that women are finding that out now the hard way is a lot of pe- a lot of women have had to drop out of the workforce because they're the main caregiver at home. And if the kids are not in school. Um, oh, yeah. I'm saying, yeah. So. I, one of the things I, I feel for anybody that has small children right now, because during the pandemic, I've been able to teach online and I just couldn't imagine if I had a small child trying to be on school also online at the same time, you know? So it's been, it's been a real challenge for, but it's also shown our society where these massive cracks are. And I'm hoping that after all is said and done, we can return to something that's a little bit better, something that's a little more sustainable. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't do anything anymore that I don't want to do. I'm just like, I'm nope. Like for me, the pandemic has kind of wiped clean. I had this really high expectation of myself that as soon as my daughter graduated from high school, I would hit the ground running again in show business and like be back on stage, be doing film, be doing TV. And now I'm like, you know what? I'll work on it every day. But even if I never book another job, which I know I, I will book jobs, even if I don't, I have had a wonderful career and it's enough. Like, not that I'm going to stop trying, but I'm not going to just like feel that feeling of running on the habit trail and faster and faster and faster and just feeling like so much pressure, but it was pressure that I put on myself. Yeah. Plus it's kind of addicting, you know, like, I don't know, it's addicting to be in entertainment and you want more of it. I felt like with casting, I just was so excited to do it, but it really, it made me sick finally. 
you know, and now, and then I was forced to be more choosy and to say no to things and just do what I want. And I'm much happier now than I was working at the upper echelons of TV because those, those rooms are real tough. They are real tough. Um, Is it very male centric, those upper echelon casting places and LA? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think it's much better now, but in the nineties, it was um, like the studio heads, I believe for most of the time they were all male and they were, you know, it's just tough when you're trying to cast a pilot and they just don't like anyone that you're bringing in for the series regulars and such like that. Just a lot of pressure. Yeah. You spend, uh, spend like three 24 hour days working on finding a group of people and they just say no to all of them. Yeah. I can imagine. Right. And that, that's just, Oh my God. Uh, and, and all, and every single project is difficult. There's no easy project. I mean, I've cast films where I'm only looking for three people in the cast. And even that is hard. It's just, it's hard to find people that everyone on the team is excited about. And you live in Atlanta is in Atlanta. Is there a big movement for more diversity and inclusion in this entertainment industry? Yeah, but I think that's happening now in every in LA and New York as well. Great. But definitely. I mean, we automatically have sort of a diversity component here, which is fantastic. That's one of the reasons yes. I like living here. Um, but I think that's happening more and more, like to have diversity, not only in the acting, but in the writing and the producing and such. Absolutely. Who are some of the people that you are following now? What kind of actors and writers are you paying attention to? So maybe our listeners can kind of tune in. And I'm always looking for a nice series to watch or a nice film. And I know you do. You go to the movies a lot, which I love. Yes, I do. And now I'm still going to the movie theater, but there's like two other people in the audience with but me. Th- doesn't that make you feel safer, though? Although oh, I don't yeah. know how they're keeping theaters open. Yeah, I don't. I actually went to an AMC yesterday to see Judas and the Black Messiah. And there was three other people there with me in a huge theater. And I tell you, I was so excited to see the, a big, huge screen again that I started crying. I saw the uh, In the Heights preview on the big screen and I burst into tears. And then I even saw the, <laughs> the preview for Kong versus, or Godzilla versus Kong. And it made me excited to see it, which <laughs> just is really interesting for me. So that's great. You know, up here by me, I live about an hour north of the city. We have a movie theater. We have a little shopping center and a movie theater and it's closed. And I don't think it's going to reopen. When my daughter was a teenager, that's every, not every weekend, but a lot of times we would do that on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon is go see a movie. If we went to the first matinee, it was yep. like half price. <laughs> yeah, it's bliss. It's really bliss. The, the the tickets in Atlanta are still really low. It's like $8 or $9 to go see a movie. Which I love. That's yeah. affordable. Yeah. yeah. Up in New York, it was in the city before the pandemic. It was about 19 bucks to see a show sometimes. And I was like, come on. Yeah. I mean, LA was like that too. Um, so yeah, it was pretty bad. Here in Atlanta, everything is a third of the cost of uh, either New York or LA. It's ridiculous. Even housing? Even housing. Oh God. Yeah. Even housing. I'm tempted to come down there for a few months because I have two friends who live there. I have places I could stay. But in your book that I also have, um, you advise like if you're going to go somewhere to move there. So I don't know if I want to move to Atlanta just because my whole family's here. Um, And I also do a lot of work in New England. I 
choreograph a lot in Maine and New Hampshire, and I'm constantly up and down the East Coast. But what would you say to somebody who's considering Atlanta as a place to, to work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great place to work as far as film and TV. There's more happening here than in L.A. or New York right now, by far. Uh, there's a lot of good theater right now. The theaters are closed here. Uh, some, I mean, there's a couple of them that are doing outdoor stuff. But so, but there's really good theater normally here. Very, very good theater companies. So it's got everything an actor could need, really. Um, it's just easier to get around. It's easier to live here. It's affordable. The people are amazing. It's prettier. It's cleaner than LA or New York. It's just an easier city to be in. I played the Fox a few times during my touring years. And um, I always enjoyed the Atlanta, the food and just spending a week or two in Atlanta. It was always a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll make a trip. My agent is actually based in Atlanta. So um, as things open up, everything is on tape, though. Everything is Zoom auditions and Although the the, so? the local hire thing is a little tricky because the producers really want us to actually cast lo- uh, local because it's just, it costs them, it, it can be cost, costly for the production and it's uh, risky behavior because something could, co- could go wrong. when you Absolutely. To- yeah. That's, and that's one thing for the listeners. They need to know you can't pretend to live somewhere. If you're not, you have to actually live there. Like you said. And if they want to call you to come in for a fitting or, you know, for some reshooting or something. And if you're in another part of the country, that's just not good. So, yeah. So when I was talking about coming down there, I was actually talking about like really coming down there. And I haven't decided yet. I have several jobs up here, which I love doing. And for me, it's just how do you fit in film and TV while you're working? And that's I guess that is a big issue for a lot of adult actors how do you yeah how do you fit it in yep i mean if you're getting that much uh film and tv where you have to worry about fitting in then you're doing really well so you're you're making good money and yeah plus your other jobs are like i mean they're not like full-time normal jobs right like i am just finishing a musical so the last week of rehearsal is this week And usually it's a live performance and this year it's a virtual performance. So I have two more rehearsals and then I'm done with the project. And uh, my other jobs are semester teaching where if I did book something, I could find a sub in non-pandemic times for my classes. Sometimes those teaching jobs are 16 weeks long, like they're blocks of time. So what I could feasibly do is save up and take some time off. Like that would be something that I would maybe have to do is just say, okay, for the next 90 days or something, I'm not available. And then. Yeah. Although you never know if you're going to book something, you know, it's like people that just come for pilot season in LA. Like you don't know if you're, you just, yeah, there's no. Right. Anything. Absolutely. But there was a point back in the day where I was really young and I had 50 cents and somehow I made it work. So I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to let the practicalities of being an adult, like stop, stop the dreaming and stop the manifesting because where there is a will, there's a way like, you know what, if you know what your monthly bills are, you just make sure you have that amount of money to cover those for, you know, X amount of time. And I do, I have a lot of European friends that are big on taking holidays 
And some of them take a year off. They just plan for it. They save, they plan. And then they're like, okay, um, I need this year to like walk the Camino or whatever they want to do. So I think part of, part of our society too, is we hustle, 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 and we live paycheck to paycheck. If we can get a little bit around that or ahead of it, like lower our expenses so that we can put some money aside. Like that's, I'm, I'm big about financial freedom and I'm big about, you know, making sure that everyone is paid with their worth. And I love, like, I just love negotiating contracts. Like part of me feels like maybe I should become an agent or a manager or something because I have that skill. I can be like, "Mm, let's bump this up a little bit. Yeah. You would make a good manager. (laughs) (laughs) No click. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, what would you say to someone who's, let's say, graduating from a university with a degree in either um, acting or directing or musical theater degree? What would you give as like the first couple steps advice? Um, make your make sure your on camera skills are really strong. Uh, a lot of programs don't really go over the business of acting very much, and if they do, it's very rudimentary. Yes. Just make sure your materials are really well, are really good, strong. You have some media. Uh, You can create your own media. Um, You have to have a really good actor's access page, which is where uh, you have your resume, you have your media, you have your headshots. And that's how you're also going to get an agent or a manager is by sending that link so they can look at your materials. So just to make sure that's really strong. I have a lot of, I've been doing some pop-up workshops to go over folks' actor's access page to make sure it's good enough for, you know, prime time, if you will. Right. So so if someone looks at it, they don't just say, oh, they don't know what they're doing and get right off the page. I, I really am. I'm so, I'm, I'm so happy that we are in touch and that I get to work with someone like you, Kathy, because I feel like you're a real person who's grounded, you're kind, but yet you love this business. You love it. Like I love it. And you want everybody to succeed and to get work. Yeah. I mean, actors have given me gifts my whole life. You know, when there was a great chaos and loss in my childhood, the only way I could escape was through at performers and, wow. you know, and being able to feel a great anguish was through watching movies and TV and theater. So I, it's, I'm indebted to performers. That, that sounds like, did you ever read Carol Burnett's book called One More Time? I didn't. I haven't. Oh, it's so good. It's yeah. so good, Kathy. But it sounds like, you know, she had a childhood in Hollywood, actually. And she lived with her mom and her grandma. And so she, her escape was the movies. And I actually got to meet her lovely daughter, the late Carrie Hamilton. Yeah. We did. I did Course Line in Boston and she was doing Rent. She was playing Maureen we had a ca- joint cast party and she said, who's playing Sheila. That's my favorite part. And I said, I am. And so we talked. And then a- about a week later, I walked into a coffee shop before my show and she was sitting there and she motioned for me to come sit with her. Wow. So we had about like 45 minutes coffee together. And I'll never forget that because she just was such a good young lady and so kind and we talked about so many things. And then years later, my daughter was uh, about two and I was actually buying diapers at Kmart. 
and she was sitting in the front of the cart and I was checking out and I saw a people magazine and it said that Carrie Hamilton had passed away from lung cancer. And I just was like, I, it hit me in the chest. I was like, Oh my God, she was like 37 or something, 39 when she died. And I just was like, I remembered that day at the coffee shop and how nice she was. Then I thought about her mom and how like, uh, it just like, it was just so surreal to be in that little store buying diapers and, and Carrie had passed away. Like it was really bizarre. Really tragic. It's funny you say that. Cause I was actually born in Hollywood as well. Um, uh, to a refugee dad and an immigrant mom, first-generation American, I am. And people think people from Hollywood are, you know, these famous people and very rich and drive BMWs and are stuck up. And, like, there's this bad stereotype. And really, it's like any city. Like, Hollywood is like any city. And it's, you know, not a great city, actually. <laughs> like, Hollywood and Vine is not, you know, anything to write home about. And yet people, you know, come there in droves, but Hollywood's just a normal city and, and LA is a normal city. And somehow it's, it's either looked upon as great or really bad. So, right. You know, just to, just to know that everyone in the industry and not everyone, but a lot of people in the industry uh, and coming from Hollywood, they're like normal people and they're, you know, they can be humble. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that you came on this podcast today. I really appreciate your time. And if there's anything you would like to do in this business, if you could have, if someone said to you, Kathy, here's a million bucks. What do you want to do? What would you do? I would want to have like a production company where it's handpicked actors and we, you know, tour the country doing create your own content projects and help others tell their stories so it would be like a little company of, of good people roaming, roaming the country performing. That sounds fun. Can I be? <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. And everyone well, would get paid. Yes. Everyone would get paid. Thank yeah. you, Kathy. You're amazing. And I hope you can come back to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast of soon. Ah, oh, what a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Show, show.